Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your temporary host again for this week, Jason Rosenbaum. Chris McDaniel is on assignment. Joining me in studio today is... Joe Manis of the St. Louis Beacon slash St. Louis Public Radio. And our special guest for today. Hey, Jason. I'm Scott Ogilvy, 24th Ward Alderman in the city of St. Louis. And you are the first individual alderman to appear on this show, as I mentioned 10 seconds ago. So yes. you should... We, we, uh, this is coming kind of a running trend. And he also is an independent. He is not a Republican and he's not a Democrat. Which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. But I yes. always like to point out the uh, first on this show just as a way to <laughs> amuse myself. But... I'm the, so I'm the first alderman, and I'm am I the second show since uh, the Beacon and Public Radio merged? Yes. Well, let me just take a minute to congratulate you guys because I think it's very exciting. Well, thank you. Actually, I think we're you're the third. The third. We've had Michael Butler on. We've had Paul Kurtman on. I think we've had you. But I'd have to double check that. I may edit that. I'll out. take the bronze medal, but um, I I think the two organizations are are great and will be even more great uh, together. Well, thank you for heaping praise on us. We, 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 <laughs> that we, we may or may not deserve, but we're going to try. So tell me about Ward 24. It's, I guess, in southwest St. Louis City, encompasses a bunch of neighborhoods. For somebody who doesn't know what what encompasses that, what is it? Sure. So the, the rough box is Oakland uh, Avenue on the north and Arsenal on the south. And city limits on the west to uh, Hampton Avenue on the east. So it's basically you're almost west. You're like the west part but south. So you're south of the zoo in that area, correct? Um, yeah, south of Forest Park on the, the west edge correct. of the city. Yeah, because Oakland yeah. parallels. So Dogtown, um, Cheltenham, Clifton Heights, Ellendale neighborhoods. Um, I know when I'm in Maplewood because the streets get worse. So. That's, that's my word. Yeah, way, way, way in the old days. That used to be part of the 28th, like 30 years ago. I, I used to live there. So As okay. Joe will mention many times, because <laughs> she covered the Board of Aldermen, I think, in the 70s yes. and the 80s. 1970s. So she, she I'm knows sure you'd like to forget all about before it. Before he was alive, which, which he gets tired of hearing. I do get tired of hearing that. So tell us a little bit about your background. I think you probably are the most famous Minnesotan who is in St. Louis politics, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Um, are there are there any others? I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I, I did grow up in Minnesota. I moved to St. Louis in 1999. In what capacity? Um, by car. I mean, were you a student or were you a job or what? I know I, I was a student. I went to, I went to college here. Um, Where? At WashU. Okay. So I moved down here. I went to college. Um, and uh, I love St. Louis. I liked it, I think, from day one. Um, I met my wife here. She's a St. Louis area native. And um, Where did she go to high the school? The rest is history. <laughs> she, she went to Parkway North. Oh, okay. okay. Right. My dad went to Parkway Central. The, the truth is out. So I guess they're rivals well, or not. So this know. is what, what really brought us together was it's the Parkway North Vikings. Uh -huh. yes. And they have the same logo as oh, the Minnesota Vikings. It all comes so together. Really, really, wow. Yeah, the Vikings have never won a Super Bowl. Uh, how about that? I'm, I'm from suburban Chicago. We're, we're still celebrating our, our Super Bowl from 25 years ago. But enough about the Vikings <laughs> and the Bears. You kind of had a, a relatively unusual entry into St. Louis politics. We got a flashback a little to 2011 when there was, I guess, a four-way Democratic primary going on in the 24th Ward between Bill Waterhouse, who was the alderman at that point, and Tom Bauer, who used to be the alderman, and I think two other people were in that race. And I guess you signed up as an independent while that skirmish was going on, correct? To compete against the victor. 
Correct. And right. so what, what, what prompted you to do that? To- well, um, brilliant strategy, Jason. Uh, <laughs> I, so being a, being a real you know, newcomer to the political scene, there's really no reason to be the third or fourth or fifth person in a Democratic primary. There was sort of an ongoing competition between Bill Waterhouse and Tom Bauer. They'd run multiple elections, multiple campaigns against each other. And I didn't really see a way forward in, you know, being in the middle of that. Um, so I, I filed as an independent, which uh, is not particularly hard to do. You go collect a few signatures from registered voters and you're on the ballot in April. Now, I think what was different about me is that uh, many, can- many candidates will, will sign up as an independent and then not really do anything. They don't really campaign. They don't really try to win. They're just sort of happy to be um, on the ballot. But we, I, we didn't really know what we were doing, but we did everything we could do to uh, win the election. Now, did, did it ever cross your mind when you registered as an, as an independent for this that the events would fall into place, that you know Tom Bauer would defeat Waterhouse in the primary? And for listener, maybe Joe can explain this more, but Tom Bauer has a long history in that ward. Some – Good, a lot controversial. And, and some of it involving a donkey. And a lot of it involving a donkey. <laughs> I guess my yeah. question is, and, and, and you know, I hope this doesn't come off as disrespectful, but did you think when you signed up that not only you were going to win, but win by a pretty substantial margin and those events would happen to where essentially your life would be changed forever? Um, life changed forever. <laughs> um, did it, so I didn't. I didn't. I didn't run a campaign thinking I'm going to lose. Right. We ran a campaign thinking we're going to try as hard as we can to win. Now I think elections can be unpredictable. Um, you know, I think in February all the attention had been on, you know, a, another competition between these two people, and but it, in March uh, we were ready to go, and you know, Tom, I was I think ready to run a campaign against um, either one of those candidates. Tom Bauer definitely had – he's got a long history in politics. Um, he, was, he was alderman in the early part of the last decade. He was a state rep uh, prior to that. Um, so he had, you know, you could say experience and name recognition and more money. But uh, I, I think we just, we just worked a lot harder. And sometimes that's what counts in a, in a local election. And now the reason I preface that question kind of delicately is, you know, in, in, the, the board of aldermen has now 27 Democrats and – they used to have a Republican, I think, a couple of years ago. It's just I don't think it's that common for an independent or a third party to win these types of seats. But as I kind of mentioned before, it was not even really a close result, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was, what, 64, 36? I think I got about, yeah, 62. So, I mean, I, we were very, obviously, super happy with that. I had terrific volunteers who helped a lot. And, you know, we sort of, the last week, we felt like, you know, we had a great chance of winning, and um, if we didn't win, we'd done everything we can could do to win. Now, it's definitely true that uh, there aren't a lot of independents who get elected. I think the last one was was Kenny Jones, mm-hmm. uh, who in the late '80s. But the truth is, local, you know, local government, local politics has almost nothing to do with left and right. You know, Republican and Democrat. City government is really about delivering services. You know, uh, figuring out how to spend the budget every year, um, responding to constituents—it's not really about ideology. And so, within those twenty-seven 
Democrats and the Board of Aldermen and, you know, the rest of city offices, city offices as well, there's probably lots of different ideologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, there's internal competition. So mm-hmm. to say that everybody is a Democrat certainly doesn't mean that everybody thinks the same way about issues or everybody is even particularly yeah, progressive or liberal. But that was going to be my next question. How does being an independent kind of change your experience on the board? Like, is there any structural differences that are there? Because or? do you ca- you don't caucus with I haven't, the Democrats. No, I haven't. And the Democrats make up everybody except for one Republican. No, he's gone now. Oh, oh he's gone. Okay, so yeah. it's all Democrats and you. Sorry. It's just me. Um, you know, practically, I don't think it makes a lot of difference. There are a few details like the caucus that I, you know, haven't participated in because I'm not uh, a part of the party officially. Um, but, you know, overall, I don't I don't think it's been um, an issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot more about, you know, the ideas you have and whether you have, you know, okay relationships with people so you can move those ideas forward. I, I, oh, can, go well, ahead. one thing I wanted to mention to our listeners is that the Board of Aldermen, uh, along with the county council, is one of the few remaining high-profile regional posts that are not affected by term limits. So, exactly. So in effect, you could be in there for 30 years. Which I think has happened in many respects. And that's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> 30 years. It's an, it, is, it is an ambitious goal. But as you kind of mentioned, it's like there, while it is heavily, heavily democratic, it's not uniform in ideas. There are different kind of factions. There's different kind of uh, of ideas that get kind of put forward. It kind of just – I've only been kind of monitoring the Board of Aldermen for about a year. Joe has done much longer. But it does seem not only from a party standpoint but also from a decision-making standpoint, you are probably one of the more independent decision-makers on the board. You sometimes vote, you know, with the majority. You sometimes vote with, with the minority. Is that a fair assessment of kind of, of how you go about your decision making when it comes to big issues? Sure. I mean, I you know, there aren't a ton of contested votes. Um, actually, when there are, I just try to, you know, call them like I see them. I guess um, I try not to typically vote against how I feel, just because I, I think it'll you know make it easier on me on the next vote or something. Um, but I think there's sort of a there's sort of a bigger question about. You know, local government and um, I, I think people who are interested in politics, like maybe on the national scale, frequently don't understand that you have to sort of recalibrate how you look at things when you're talking about local government. Because um, you can't expect – there is really no, like, Democratic Party agenda for the city of St. Louis. And even at the state level, um, it, there's sort of an agenda, but there's not really a cohesive Democratic Party strategy, like – for Kansas City or for St. Louis. So I think the future, maybe the present and the future, we're going to think about things more in terms of what is good for cities, like what are policies that benefit cities and everybody living in them, not, you know, what are the policies that the Democratic Party thinks are good. And, you know, at the, at the state level, maybe we'll talk about this later, yes. I think the Democratic Party frequently um, – endorses policies that are not good for cities and they they seem to not know that they're not good for cities so well, that's a little bit of foreshadowing sure. but we're going to get into that a little bit later right. we, we kind of want to jump into a topic that i think is near and dear to your heart one of the one of your signature facts is you're an avid bicyclist 
I think that was part of your your vocation before you came into the Board of Aldermen, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, off and on, um, I worked as a bike mechanic for several years, both at uh, Mesa Cycles and Big Shark, two two great bike shops in the area. Absolutely. And that issue has kind of become very controversial in St. Louis County, perhaps surprisingly, because for the last few weeks, they have been wrestling with this complete streets ordinance. And for our listeners who don't know what that is, maybe you can kind of explain what the bill is trying to do and, in your view, why it's provoked opposition in many respects. Sure. So the the basic idea behind a complete streets policy is that when you're making transportation infrastructure decisions, you're going to think about not just the car. You're going to consider that people like to ride bikes, they like to walk, they drive cars, there's people in wheelchairs, and there are experiences sort of within streets or roads that you can make you know, better or worse for people. And we need policies like this because we've had you know, 50 or 60 years where almost all um, transportation spending was really focused almost exclusively at the car, at the car driver. And, you know, certainly cars are a big part of the transportation equation, but they're not the only part. And that spending, a lot of it, really decreased quality of life for a lot of people in ways that I think took us um, a long time to figure out. But we've pretty much figured them out now. We just have to change orientation on how we think about planning and building infrastructure. Now, the bill in question, and it, it, there's a lot of stuff in there, so I may just be paraphrasing, but essentially what it does is if the St. Louis County is embarking on, say, repaving a road or doing a road project, they would have to take elements of the complete streets ideal into account, whether it be putting in a sidewalk, a crosswalk, a bike path. It doesn't have to be all of those things. But the other thing is, if for some reason they decide they don't want to do it, the transportation department has to put down with data-based facts of why they're not doing it. I hope I'm summarizing that correctly, but that's pretty much what's at issue here. Yeah. And what has happened is, while I think the majority of the county council probably has the votes to pass this, it seems like the transportation department has, you know, pretty much revolted over this. Uh, Is that kind of your sense as well? And if so, does that surprise you in many respects? Um, You know, I don't think that the bill hasn't had a a vote yet. I don't think that's because of the St. Louis County Highways Department. I think it's actually because of um, like the Realtors Association and the Home Builders Association sort of quietly are trying to talk their way through some some issues that Mm -hmm. they have with the bill. And I don't know exactly the, the details of those issues. The the county highways department, and we should point out that it's the St. Louis County Highways Department, and that's sort of part of the problem, right? Um, they don't look at themselves as like a, a fully fleshed out transportation department. If you call yourself a highway department, you're just building for the car. Um, they did make a lot of noise. Uh, their spokesman, uh, David Roan, really threw out some numbers on the cost of implementing something like this, which were just complete, completely made up, in my opinion. Um, there's, you know, hundreds of cities and counties who have these types of policies now. There's no evidence at all that these make transportation um, planning and, and implementation dramatically more expensive. There's actually evidence to the contrary that if there are sometimes small cost increases, 
they're really more than offset by sort of in, increased uh, user satisfaction um, with the results. But to get back to Go ahead. Get back to St. Louis County. Yes, because we're all about St. Louis County with our St. Louis city. <laughs> city alderman. Yeah. You know, I was telling my 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 wife about this situation, and she drives county roads often because she works at Washington University. And admittingly, she's not a cyclist, but she's not like an anti-cyclist. But her reaction to it was that you know, for example, putting bike paths on some major county roads to her didn't seem like a good idea because there's a lot of car traffic there. I'm sure you've heard that argumentation when they were putting in the city complete streets policy. Do you think the county roads are well suited for these types of improvements, not just bike paths, but also sidewalks and crosswalks as well? I think we have to remember that roads are not just for cars, you know, and and there's always this, I think we, there's a danger of reducing this conversation about complete streets to cars versus bikes, right. you know, driver versus cyclist. And it really needs to be a bigger conversation. There's there's no such thing as an exclusive driver, and there's no such thing as an exclusive cyclist. Uh, people who drive cars also ride bikes. They also walk. They may also take the bus. People who ride bikes probably also own a car. Um, and so it's 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 not about you know. And I think this was David Rohn's argument with saying this county highways. Oh, we're going to have to put a bike lane on every single road. That's not what this is about. That's not what the policy says. It says think about everybody and plan for everybody when you're spending money. And um, it's it's sort of actually crazy, I think. That, that's not really a radical idea to say that, hey, you should be able to walk across the street in a safe way. You know, you should be able to – a pedestrian should be able to use an intersection um, without feeling like they're in danger. Um, that's really what these policies are, are getting at. And big, big picture in St. Louis region – is that we have tons of highway infrastructure per person. We basically have more miles of highway infrastructure per person than any other region. And we've made that investment. We don't need to, like, double down on that investment. We need to think about other modes and other investments that people are asking for and that improve quality of life. Now, before we move on, you were at the county council meeting on Tuesday. There seems to be kind of an unusual people group of people who are opposing this. They're bicyclists who don't like bike lanes. And one of them actually cited George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and our founding fathers for not passing this bill. And that's kind of a humorous aside, but there were a lot of people making that type of argument. What was your reaction when you saw all of that? Um, they, there are, you know, it's a, it's a really a, a very small number of people who I think are cyclists and have that opinion, but there is a very vocal group in St. Louis. My take is that um, if you talk to, and I was a bike mechanic, so I talk to a lot of cyclists, people who, and people who ride a little bit, people who ride every day. It is the full spectrum of humanity that rides bikes. 90% of those people want bike infrastructure. They feel safer with it there. They want to ride more. And if you look at national data, as cities build bike infrastructure, ridership increases and safety increases. So you have less crashes per person, less crashes per you know, mile ridden. That's really the data. We have, you know, 15 years ago when cities were sort of just dipping their toe into this stuff, we didn't have the amount of data we have now. But the data really now is very strongly, I think, on the side of, of doing 
quality bike infrastructure. And I think that's what the people who are cyclists, I think they're just kind of ignoring that data. And, you know, they're entitled to their opinion, but I think they really don't represent a, a broad group of people. Now, just FYI, if George Washington and or Thomas Jefferson were around, they would be lobbying for horse paths. Exactly. George Washington was one of the, <laughs> was one of the best horsemen of his day. He was, he was very well known as a masterful horseman. And I, I think it would be exciting if in Just the future we get to a place where we also plan for horse-based transportation well, when, we, when we do our projects. Speaking of horse trading, that, that, that's a terrible segue. <laughs> but let's, go, let's kind of get back into city land for a second because you have been kind of trying in vain to get this bill through the legislative committee of the Board of Aldermen that would cap uh, contributions to various city offices. Uh, before we get into the machinations of how that bill has gone through, what prompted you to file that bill and what does it do as of now? Well, you guys, I, I think you've talked about this recently on the show. There's no campaign limits in Missouri, con- contribution limits, which means there's no limits in the city of St. Louis for local offices. My bill, which is very much based on what Kansas City did in 2010, sets limits for local offices. So... You can't have one person write a quarter million dollar check to so, a candidate. So specifically, what would the limits be? Uh, my limits are $10,000 per campaign cycle for citywide offices. Now and this is per, per donor? Per donor. Okay. And 3000 uh, for members of the Board of Aldermen. So when you run, which, which ward are you in now? The Webster Groves Webster ward. Webster Groves, okay. <laughs> well, Jason's in the 16th ward. Yes. When, when Jason runs for... Alderman. Watch out, Donna Berenger. <laughs> now, just, just so people know, just for some context, um, these proposed limits, as, as well as the proposed limits on the state level, are much higher than the limits that were in place that were tossed out a few years ago. I mean, if you, I mean those, those limits were just several hundred dollars. I believe $3,000 was more than you could give to a state Senate candidate, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, state Senate, it, it, it was 325 650 and 1300 Like 10 times more. Yeah. yeah. But continue. And I, I think that what I always say is my bill tries to set reasonable limits. Those old limits that the state legislature, legislature had – I really think we're too low, and everybody acknowledges that it sort of led to widespread abuse of right, that system right. and was sort of eventually the downfall because the limits were artificially low. So my bill sets the limit. It also um, pegs the limit to increase automatically with inflation so we don't have to go fight about what the limit should be every two or four years. Um, this is a topic that it gets talked about every year um, at the state level for sure. It hasn't been talked about as much locally. Um, you know, the governor has been talking about this. Um, Jason Kander, Secretary of State, talks about it a lot. I, it would be better to have statewide limits that applied to us as well. In the absence of those, which may be tough to get, I still think there's a lot of value in doing these local limits. It hasn't passed yet. Um, I've actually had, I think, some very positive feedback and constructive feedback from members of the Legislative Committee, which you mentioned, where the, mm-hmm. the bill has had a few hearings. And I think with some changes, there's there's maybe still an opportunity. I was to just going to mention passed. that because, including my older woman Donna Berenger, has said that she philosophically agrees with this, and ultimately, will I, I assume will eventually support whatever comes up. But there have been a couple of aldermen who have made pretty similar arguments to some opponents of campaign finance limits. That you know, if this comes through, there's going to be packs that 
spend a you know inordinate amount of money in aldermanic or our citywide races. Um, what's kind of your been your reaction to those type of argumentations? Yeah, I mean, we are in a, a national climate with you know unlimited donations to PACs, where there is no perfect system of of contribution limits. The fact is, there aren't really big packs involved in races for aldermen. I was going to say, yeah. that was kind of the one surprising thing because how aldermanic races cost at most, what, $15,000, $20,000 if they're really competitive, if I'm it, not it mistaken? Could, it could cost you – I didn't spend this much, but it could cost you 30 or 40 or 50 in, in some cases uh, to run. But even with that, it seems like 3000 per person would – allow you to do that. I just wonder if maybe some of those aldermen are wondering they want to collect money if they want to run for something else down the road. And I'm not casting aspersions on people, and I haven't asked them about that. But I have noticed that has been a complaint among some aldermanic you know, critics of your proposal. So. Yeah. So I, I think you can get like bogged down in the details of exactly what the limit should be. The, the big picture thing is when you talk to a voter and you tell them, you know, uh, a guy or a gal who doesn't even live in Missouri can write uh, the mayor's campaign or the president of the Board of Aldermen campaign a $200,000 check, which is uh, five or six times what you make in a year, um, and they can't even vote. You know, nobody likes that. It erodes people's confidence in our local government. And so I think there's there's benefits to elections, there's benefits to voters, and there's benefits to people in government when People trust that, um, you know, your office is not sort of bought and paid for uh, by big donors, mega donors. Whether, whether it is or not, if the perception is there, I think it really harms people's confidence now, in I've what asked, we do. I've asked you this question before, but just want to ask it again for our listeners. You know, there are some citywide officials who have pretty enormous war chests. Gregory F.X. Daly is one. He has like $500,000 on hand. I'm surprised he hasn't run you know, for a uh, collector of revenue for the universe by now. But would would people like him have an advantage if this system was going down the pike because they Don't could... Don't give Daly any ideas. <laughs> collector of revenue for the universe is actually one of our local government reforms where but, but we're working on. I know. I, I've, now, I've now probably uh, prop- given him a good idea. It's Proposition U is what we're calling that one. But in all seriousness, could that give candidates like that an, an undue advantage over, say, someone who is in the Board of Aldermen who has a lot less money on hand? Um. You know, on day one, I think it gives them an advantage. But I think as you move forward in time and you get two or three or four years down the road and everybody's been playing by the same rules for a few years, I think you're back to everybody's kind of on the same playing field. Um, You know, there's always uh, challenges when you institute a change like this, and maybe that's one of them. But I I think the long-term benefits outweigh those short-term sort of problems you encounter. We'll call that the Gregory FX Daily corollary or something like that. I didn't, I didn't know that was going to be the funniest thing I said today. But let's kind of transition into kind of a statewide issue. We're going the whole gamut here. We're going county, city, and statewide. Let's talk about Rob Ford also. Rob Ford. We're going Canadian as well. 
Reminds me of that Jay-Z song, Tom Ford, but that's not really uh, appropriate for the Politically Speaking podcast today. Until he runs for office. Until he runs for office. But you've been probably one of the more outspoken critics of a proposal to put a one-cent sales tax increase for transportation purposes. So you're kind of on the same side as, like, State Senator John Lamping. You know, or, some or of the others who you are, know, Senator Rob Schaff yes. or Senator Ed Emery, who are the most conservative legislators in in the entire world, pretty much. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, but, I'm being facetious. Yeah, but, but who have been outspoken against the uh, proposed and, trans- and it kind of also just, yes. not just, just as a little aside, it does kind of show that there's bipartisan opposition to this. I think it's been kind of showed that... As you know, well as bipartisan support. As well as bipartisan right. support. But what, what has prompted you to be kind of opposed to that. Well, um, so you called it a 1% transportation tax. A one cent. Well, it's one, one cent. One, I don't know why we say it's one cent because it's one percent. One one percent on the dollar. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but go right. on. Right. So, but it's not one cent on a purchase. It's one percent. On, one cent on the dollar. Right. On the right. sales tax. Okay. Right. Let's, you know, I'll, okay. I'll agree there. Or proceed. we could call it. Proceed. <laughs> it's one cent or it's an $8 billion tax increase. Okay, that, that's proceed. the other way to talk okay, about sure. it. Okay. Um, so, why this this is a, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about before. This transportation is really not like a left right issue. Transportation, what's good for cities, is um, a, a mix of transportation options. Now, currently, and for quite some time, the state has essentially provided zero funding to uh, public transit in St. Louis and Kansas City. It's a huge problem for us. A huge problem that prevents us from expanding and providing better service on on metro. Uh, instead of calling this a 1% transportation sales tax, I would call it a 1% highway sales tax because what what we know is going to happen is that a big chunk of that money is going to go to rebuilding Interstate 70, but not even in the metro areas, just from Blue Springs to Wentzville. And we know that a big chunk of that money is going to go to rural roads that MoDOT maintains. Now, the St. Louis region will get a chunk, but the St. Louis region combines, you know, city like St. Louis and rural counties like uh, sort of Jefferson and Franklin County, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to get their taste of the money too. Now you you spread all this money out and you most of it's going to go to rural road or highway infrastructure. You have the city of St. Louis or city and county of St. Louis paying a huge share of the sales tax and really not getting close to their fair share back and probably not getting the projects that the region really wants and needs, which I would argue are public transit projects because we've built the highways we need already. Um, you know, if you look at, I think, what is going to make us the most economically competitive region and a region with a high quality of life um, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, it's going to have to include more public transit options. It can't just be about, you know, building wider and wider freeways. Most states have already made this pivot, and you see even places like um, Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas, in a very red state, the state is rapidly building them a very robust public transportation infrastructure. And this, I, I view this bill as almost the opposite of that, where the state is taking a bunch, the biggest, biggest tax increase maybe in the history of Missouri at the state level. Uh, I, I don't think, I think... Let's call it one of the biggest taxes. One increase. of the biggest, because the biggest one was arguably a little over twenty years ago for the. Because that, that was, might have been adjusted for inflation or whatnot. A big, a big tax. Let's increase. just let's just right. let's just call that. Now I want to kind of play devil's advocate here because you know if 
if I'm a supporter of this, I'm going to point to the fact that some of the money that would be collected from this tax would go to cities and counties, as you mentioned. So what would be stopping, for example, the money that goes to St. Louis City and County from going to metro or public transportation in that? Nothing in this bill would stop it from doing that. But you have to drill really down into the numbers to see what's likely to happen. And we could potentially get enough money to do a significant transit expansion, maybe. But then we would end up in a place where Metro might have another another line, but they wouldn't have the money to operate the line. Yes. And that means we're not going to build a line because all of our operational money is generated locally. And I think people need to recognize what a bizarre situation that is. Almost every state helps fund Metro region's transit, and Missouri is a, a it's a real outlier in that, that we pay for our, we have the best public transportation system paid for entirely locally in the country. Um, we don't need to now be paying more to support, you know, rural Missouri highways. It's not what is good for St. Louis City. It's not what is good for St. Louis County. And this, this is, to go back to the, you know, the campaign finance thing, this is an effort not, you know, driven by people. If you ask people in Missouri, you think we should have a tax increase for highways or a tax increase for schools? They'll tell you schools every time. This is driven by the the concrete industry, the steel industry, the asphalt industry, the gravel industry, the sand industry in Missouri. There's a sand industry? <laughs> this, yes, there is. Yeah. This is I – w- I was in Jefferson City for the hearing on these bills and, um, you know, this is a, this is a Steve Tilley thing. You know, this is Steve Tilley coming out of the legislature. Well, the trucking industry and a bunch of others, because Highway yeah. 70 is only two lanes each way, and many believe ardently that they need to virtually double the size of Highway 70, and this whole transportation tax, which would have money for other things, basically that was kind of the deal in order to get the money for Highway 70. And, and by the way, we've had Steve Tilley on the show, and we have talked about this yes. at length. So this is probably the third time I've referenced back to that podcast because we talked about that, the Rush Limbaugh incident, and many other yeah. things. Right. So, but, but continue. So let's – so focus on 70. It's, it's really the heavy trucking industry that wants a rebuild Highway 70. With a sales tax, they don't pay any of the cost of that. So they're driving for the sales tax proposal that trucking companies won't pay for, that you and I will pay for, to build them a highway to use for their you know, shipping interests. Now, maybe we need to rebuild 70. I'm not saying we absolutely don't need to do that, but let's do it with some type of balanced funding package. Maybe it's a half percent sales tax, and maybe it's an increase on, on the tax on diesel fuel, which would mean that trucking companies would also contribute to building this infrastructure that they use primarily and they wear out primarily. Now, what do you, if this gets on the ballot next year because there's an initiative petition, what do you think the result will be? Um, I, think it's, I think it's tricky to predict because there will be an all-out campaign by these, these industries to pass this thing and they will use just made-up jobs numbers to justify it. Um, on the other hand, I think a, a, statewide, you know, a statewide tax increase is, can be a tough sell, so... I, I think it'll be it'll be close, probably. Do you think Rex Singfeld will get involved against it? And if so, would would that make you? Uh, I have no uh, I have no insight into that. One. Would that make you uh, a strange bedfellows with Rex on on that issue? So, we'll we'll we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, 
to close us out, you can find all of our work at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe at... Jay Manis. It's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And you can follow the alderman at... Uh, Ward24STL. And you got to put the STL at the end because if you don't, I think you go to another Ward24 somewhere. So... He's uh, probably okay, too. He's probably okay. <laughs> There's multiple Jason Rosenbaums on Twitter, too, and they're all great. <laughs> I, I, I hope you all have a, a great holiday season. And until next week, so long. <laughs>